we've been waiting to record this episode for absolutely ages because you might know that the McLeod judgment affects a load of people, NHS pensions. And if you don't know about McLeod and you're a new listener, first of all, welcome. And in the first five minutes, we're going to explain what McLeod is and who it affects. But we've been waiting and waiting for more detail about this really important change to the way that NHS pensions work for ages. And there's been consultations about it. We've done podcasts about it. We did one a couple of weeks ago telling you about a tiny tweet that we found out about the McLeod. But then the government released a whole raft of information about how McLeod is going to work. So we are talking about if you've paid an annual allowance tax charge, how do you get that back? Could you even get that back? Could you claim compensation for the advisor fees to your accountant and your IFA that you've had pay? What about if you've done a scheme pays election? Again, if you don't know what scheme pays is, we're going to give you a really nice, simple explanation about it. But what what if you have done scheme pays? How does that fit if you are affected by McLeod. So this is a really, really important episode. It's really important that everyone with an NHS pension, doc, dentist, nurses, anyone with a pension in the NHS knows about this. So please share it with your colleagues if you find it useful. And then we finished the podcast and have a really interesting discussion off mic, which was so useful that we rewound and hit record where we talked about added years and erbo. So if you're watching on YouTube and you're seeing a ton cat emojis, that's why you're seeing cat emojis. You'll find out when you get there. But it's worth listening right to the end if you've got Erbo or added years or you want an extra bit of detail in the bonus section at the end. Thank you so much for your support, sharing this podcast and on our YouTube, which is growing really, really fast. I did email our email list, which has got 45,000 doctors on it now asking for questions about this. And our inbox just absolutely blew up and it is not possible to answer every question, but we do answer several readers' questions in this episode. And if you have got questions, maybe, the best place to ask them is to drop them in the YouTube comments. And we've done a YouTube comments question and answer session recently. So we'll try to pick them up there. And email is still good, but turns out if you email 45,000 people asking them if they've got any questions about the NHS pension, your inbox literally does explode. So sorry to those of you that we couldn't get back to. Right, if you're not subscribed, you need to hit subscribe. If you're on YouTube, you definitely need to hit subscribe because we need subscribers. Thanks so much. Let's get into it. We're talking about McLeod, which is really, really complicated, but can you just give us like a sort of brief summary of how we got to this point? What is McLeod? Who's affected? And then what has changed to necessitate us bringing together two of this country's foremost experts together on YouTube for this episode? Yeah, okay, I'll try and be as succinct as I can. Um, so McLeod centres all around the way in which the 2015 schemes were introduced. So it's probably important to know that McLeod affects all of the public sector pension schemes. It's not an NHS pensions issue, it's a public sector pensions issue. So there was a wide review of public sector pensions and that review um, meant that we then initiated the new schemes or the 2015 section. Now, when the scheme was first introduced, whether somebody did or didn't move into that section depended on two things. So were they a member of the scheme as of April 2012? And then the second thing is how close they were to their normal pension age. So if they had more than ten, less than 10 years, sorry, to their normal pension age, they didn't move into the 2015 section. They stayed where they were. If they had more than 13 and a half years to their normal pension age, then they were moved across into the 2015 section automatically. It was a mandatory move. And if they were in that middle group that had between 10 and 13 and a half years to their normal pension age, they would have moved. But um, they would have had a choice as to when, which could have either been the 1st of April 15 
or at a later date that was based on their date of birth. And all of the schemes did that. And then there was a legal challenge by Judge McLeod, who is a member of the Judicial Pension Scheme, which is where we get the McLeod remedy from. And that legal challenge was essentially that the way in which the schemes had been introduced was discriminatory on grounds of age, which it very clearly was when you think about what we've just set out. So fast forward a bit. Um, HM Treasury and central government are responsible now for implementing a remedy, again, across all of the public sector schemes that removes that age discrimination element. And that's where we're getting the name the McLeod remedy from. So we have had number and of a number of updates and consultations running. But essentially what is going to happen is if you were somebody who was moved across into the 2015 section, and you were also a member of the scheme as of April 2012, then your service is gonna get rolled back. So it's gonna be as if you didn't join the 2015 section up until the 31st of March 22, and then everybody has been treated as having joined the 2015 section from the 1st of April 22. Um, and then when you then retire or take your benefits, you will then get two sets of figures that will give you two options. The first option is that you continue in your original section until the 31st of March 22. And the second option is that you continue in that section only until the 31st of March 15, from which point you join the 2015 scheme. And the way we envisage it working is that people will look at those two sets of figures and then choose whichever one is the most beneficial for their circumstances. Awesome. Okay, that was a brilliantly succinct explanation. Hopefully everyone's up to speed to this. I mean, the reason why this is really important is because something was released uh, last week, I think it was, which is kind of setting out how this is actually going to work in practice, which has answered a lot of questions that the experts have had. It's also like a tremendous opportunity for NHS pensioners to, you know, th this is a great pensions planning opportunity. Uh, and I think the fundamental thing is that no one should be worse off as a result of the remedy, which is a great position to start from. So where where do you want to start with what happened last week when they brought out the the draft i think it draft legislation and because there's so many questions and i've also got a ton of questions from uh people on email and twitter and we'll also take them in the comments on youtube as well if that helps but where where, where do you want to start with like what what's happened now yeah so what happened um that basically it was it was um there's been various consultations that have been going on, um, which seem to be going on for ages. I can't even remember when they started, but this was the the second part of the consultation process where um, a lot of people interested in this whole process put put in responses to the original things they were proposing, um, and including sort of all the big guns like the, the BMA, the BDA, uh, and people like ASMA um, as well. Um, who, who responded. So this was basically the government's response to those responses, which helped clarify quite a few things. Not everything, though. I think there's still quite a lot of unknowns still in there. Um, so we can't sort of give it a definitive, definitive guide to what's going to happen. But I think we're a lot clearer in terms of the process going forward. And it's quite encouraging. I think, as you said, it, it gives opportunities to people that have made decisions previously on a different basis to go back and revisit them. Um, but it also gives uh, some sort of clarity on the process they intend to happen, which I suspect, as Laura might confirm, is probably going to be simpler to some degree in other parts of the public sector, whereas some parts of the NHS is going to be quite difficult purely because of the sheer numbers involved. I think there's something like 290,000 retired mm -hmm. 
NHS members that have to be corrected first. And then you talk about the extra million plus after that um, as well. So I think the NHS scale is far, far bigger than the others. Um, but actually, yeah, it was, it was a very useful document in terms of clarifying stuff. Yeah. Okay. Should I just start hitting you with the questions? Uh, because I think they could provide some good structure because this is what our listeners want to know. Like, how does this affect them? And I made the mistake of asking our email list if they wanted to ask questions. And I, I was just behaving like Medics Money was small, like back in the day, but we've got 45,000 people on our email list and our inbox literally exploded. So apologies if we don't ask your question. And then I asked on Twitter for some questions and someone asked, what's our favorite cheese? Do we like WWF wrestling and that kind of thing? So I kind of neglected that as well. But if you've got questions, ask them in the chat on YouTube. But the first one is from Priya, who's a consultant. And Priya says, I'm a consultant and opted out of the pension in 2015 due to tax. Can I now opt back in from 2015? Does that make sense? It does. Uh, this was this was actually was was quite an interesting bit that came out in the response um, to that to that consultation. So, so the short answer is probably <laughs> um, the reason um, being is that the there's, there's an, an evidence threshold, albeit quite low, that Department of Health and Social Care is setting, which says that if for an for an individual to opt back in, they have to to some degree be able to evidence that the 2015 scheme was part of their reason for opting out or their reason for opting out. But there's different ways you can present that information. So if it was from a tax point of view or an annual allowance point of view, um, your annual allowance is the measure of the growth in your pension. So if you're in two different schemes and you've got two, two growth figures, one which in the 2015 section would be higher than it would be typically in 95, then that obviously is a reason to say, actually, we might need to go back and I would, I would have made a different decision had we not been put into the 2015 scheme uh, in the first place. So yes, in theory, that does sound like a reasonable position. Now, if you have to raise what's called a contingent decision with the pension scheme, we don't know what that process is yet. This is one of the things that's missing from what Andy mentioned before. And the scheme would then determine whether that met the criteria or the threshold. If you are put back in the scheme, you do have to pay back the contributions. So to be a member of the NHS pension scheme, as you know, Tommy, you have to pay a contribution. So if you want to opt back in and it's backdated, you have to pay back the contributions for that period of time. Um, but, but yeah, potentially in theory. The interesting thing that came out of the consultation was that you can choose to opt back in for part of the time that you were opted out. It doesn't have to be for, so if you opted out for the whole seven years between 2015 and 2022, you don't have to opt back in for the whole seven years. You could just opt back in for part of it, which was quite interesting, I think, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, it, I mean, it does say that. So yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be some nuances around what annual allowance tax is going to be paid for what years, because of some periods are now out of scope. Um, so you could potentially have the scenario where people want to opt back in for those earlier years, which they would normally, if it was back then, would have had an annual allowance tax charge to pay over, which they may, if my understanding's right, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Laura, they may therefore avoid any annual allowance for those, that period. Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. That, it's, yeah. Possibly. It, it, again, it's the detail, isn't it, that's missing at this point? Because there's a bit of, but that yes, in theory, the the because the the tax rules will you know um, work on. You can't go back more than four years. So where we're going back to 2015, 16, up to 18, 19, they're they're what we call the out of scope years. They're too old. So there is a clause 
that's written in the legislation that says if somebody has paid too much annual allowance charge in that from that period they can apply for compensation to reclaim that back but if somebody hasn't paid enough they're not going to be asked to pay the difference so because of that you, it does imply that if somebody opts back in they then might not have to pay any annual allowance charge yeah i mean i think also the other factor to consider is laura's right quite rightly said you've got to pay the contributions um which could be sizable you know because we tend to be talking about higher earners here and therefore you know if you're paying at 14 and a half percent on over a hundred thousand pounds of earnings that's quite a lot to find for a number of years um, but they have said they will accept or will be proposing some form of instalment system. Mm. Again, though, we don't know how long that's going to be. You know, is it going to be five years, two years, three years? No idea. Um, so cash flow will be a consideration for people in in that bracket as well. Um, so I, it's I think, not... sorry, Andy, just to add to that, we've got um, some some trusts who operated an additional, what, what some are calling an additional pay policy. So if they had... Um, clinical staff, for example, who opted out of the scheme for tax reasons, they were paid the employer contribution in their pay as extra pay. So if you opt back in for the period you opt out and you had extra pay in the form of the employer contributions, you have to pay that back as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah in that scenario. Which kind um, of for... like makes sense. Oh, sorry, Andy. I was saying, oh, well, the other category is going to be GPs, which is a bit, a bit unclear because GP partners have paid both the employee and employer contributions as well. So kind of silent in the, the responses there. Uh, perhaps I shouldn't even be mentioning it on this podcast, but uh, in case anyone's listening, but you know, I think there needs some clarity. There would need to be some clarity around, around that. Yeah. GP partners, probably about the most complex uh, cases that you two come across, I'd imagine, uh, which kind of leads me on to, Another question, which I think came via our inbox. So like 45,000 people get our email, uh, the latest financial news for doctors. You can sign up at medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash ebook and download the ebook. You get on the email list. Uh, so Tim is a GP partner and Tim says, firstly, thanks for all the podcasts and videos. No worries. Uh, I seem to remember reading somewhere that compensation may be available to me, to people like me who suspended their scheme membership to avoid imminent AA charges. Who wants to take this one? I think it's kind of similar to the opt-out. So there's there's no um, so there's no compensation as such for somebody in that situation, but they would have that provision to be able to look at uh, reinstating their service for that time that they were opted out um, and, and therefore they could then continue to accrue benefits. But there's no direct compensation for opt-outs, I don't think, is there, Andy? It's, it's, no, I mean, but I think there is a, a more general thing about compensation Brilliant. for rectifying all of this. So, so there's no compensation in terms of the opt-out itself for those who have opted out, but there is the wider sort of rectification side, which is, mm. again, a little unknown. You know, it, it's, it's clearer in that they keep mentioning there's a whole section now that talks about compensation being available. But what it does talk about is it will be on a case-by-case basis. And then there are certain parameters that any sort of government uh, department have to work in, in terms of money, value for money and whether the charges look reasonable, et cetera. But it's going to be, that's going to be, I think, a really interesting one because I know people like the BDA, I think, are referenced in the, the British Dental Association are referenced in that document who were asking about, well, if someone took some advice off of an advisor, 
back in 2017. This is pre this all came out. They did some modeling based on the 2015 scheme. Basically, all that's unraveling now. Um, so actually, they've spent a load of money on getting some advice. Do they get compensated for that? There is going to be a you know some cost to do with correcting this. So if you do get one of these annual allowance rec- um, statements that come through and you've got to then go and get it processed for the last eight years, are you going to do it yourself? Probably not. You probably want to get someone to help you with that. I think that's more likely to get compensation for the cost of doing that. Um, but yeah, it's still, still pretty vague really, but they have said clarification is coming soon. Uh, and soon, I guess, is, I don't know, it's got to be before the 1st of October, I'd imagine. <laughs> you would assume. It, yeah, it says, so it actually says in the response, I'm, I'm just going to read this to you. Um, Where the member employs the services of a financial professional to support such an application for tax reassessment, this may be considered a direct financial loss, depending on the merits of the member's compensation application. It sort of implies, doesn't it, that if somebody's had to seek guidance or advice previously around pensions and pensions tax, and that might have formulated the decision making, and they now have to revisit that or they need further advice, that that might be a scenario where they might be able to claim back some form of compensation. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely the the compensation element of that question caught my eye because, yeah, I've paid out uh, lots of money to advisors like yourselves and money well spent, obviously, but uh, if I can get it back. uh, Yeah, so sort of maybe a waiting clarification is what we're going to say to Tim, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did see something. It was um, Tony Goldstone as ever did a, a long thread of uh, tweets on, on on this. And one of the things was about the compensation bit. And he, he highlighted the bit, there was something about um, feelings of loss in there, which I think, you know, <laughs> I think me and Laura are first in the queue for feelings of loss there for all the hassle we've had over the years dealing with this. Um, Cause our claims are going to be huge if that's allowed. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You it, could put it, a feelings of loss claim in for recording this podcast, I reckon, you know. It's... Oh, absolutely. Just, what's really interesting on the compensation is that, um, so just, just for fun, I have read all of the different consultation responses across all of the public sector schemes, which is, and we have um, tried to keep track of what they're all doing because they're all different, actually. And um, NHS and teachers are the two that mention compensation, whereas things like the civil service do not. So that's really interesting, actually, that it doesn't seem... Well, these are only consultation responses, so th- and it might turn out to actually be different when they deliver their regs, but they are not talking about financially compensating anybody, which is interesting. Okay, so let's just say like you are an NHS pension member like me. Um, what? Uh, and let's just say you know you you've received a brown envelope, or you might have paid an annual allowance charge in the remedy period. What what should, what do I need to do now? Like, what would you advise your clients to do now in terms of what they need to do? And then what do they need to sort of, yeah, what do we need to do? Guide us, but not advise us, obviously, because this is not advice. Do your own research and hire a decent advisor like the ones on Medics Money. But there must be a few sort of general principles. Yeah, so uh, normally it would be about this time of year that you would start receiving the brown envelope which is the pension saving statement, uh, they are not being issued this year to anybody who is impacted by the McLeod remedy. 
Um, and the reason for that is because essentially they'll be wrong. The fact that they've been wrong for the last seven years seems irrelevant, but we're not, we're not, they're not being issued. And you should not put any annual allowance charge on your 22-23 self-assessment that was confirmed in a HMRC update on the 18th of August. So put nothing in. Me and Andy did a podcast about that recently as well, which uh, further confirmed it. And uh, I can now get a new front door, right? This is a bit of a sideline, but I got a new front door and it, I forgot to tick the get a letterbox button. Uh, so I don't have a letterbox at the moment, but I was like, well, then the annual allowance statement can't get through, can it? But now I'm ordering a letterbox to celebrate. <laughs> just just because it's not coming this year. So. Well, I forgot to put, when you order a front door, there were letterboxing was right at the bottom. I, I, didn't, I didn't know they didn't come with a letterbox. It's ridiculous. And I thought, actually, it might be quite useful to not have a letterbox, but um, I can get one again now. So send me some letters if you want. <laughs> It's worth worth ignoring your front door issue there, Tommy. It's worth just remembering this is only for people in the remedy period or, or affected uh-huh. by the remedy. Mm-hmm. So if you are, I mean, most people are, to be fair, that haven't retired. But if you are one of those people that were in the uh, 1995 scheme or uh, and have stayed in the 1995 scheme or maybe the 2008, but I really can't think of anyone particularly uh, off the top of my head who would have been in that one. You know, and, and didn't transfer over to the 2015 scheme. Um, or alternatively, if you've been in the 2015 scheme since day one because of you joining after um, after the point it came into to, to being, then those people would need to disclose their annual allowance if they have one. But it's so it's but actually the bulk of people are, are caught by the remedy, so it's really those that aren't. Um, I think the interesting thing about that is then there'd be the time scale for people in the remedies and that then be pushed back. Um, but all the documentations of the NHS side saying quite clearly that this has all got to be supplied by the uh, the pension scheme by I think six of October twenty twenty four. Yeah, which is fine I think for anyone in hospitals and anyone in um, those officers type jobs within the NHS. But if anyone is in the GP practitioner side, then um, and hasn't had their pension record up to date or hasn't been able to keep their pension record up to date for whatever reason, we've got a challenging period ahead of those people need to get their pension records up to date. Or alternatively, the scheme needs to put some emphasis on making sure those people get their pension records up to date. Um, Because I think they're going to be the problem group. Yeah, because what's supposed to happen? I'm saying supposed to because we're, we're waiting on the regs and we're waiting on the regs for the, the date's been pushed back and pushed back. But according to the regs, the draft regs is that they're supposed to, as Andy says, have what they're calling a remedial statement issued by the 6th of October next year. So essentially that would mean um, you'd, you'd get a statement that said these are all your old pensions input amounts from 2015-16 onwards, so all your growth figures. And these are now the new ones because we've rolled your service back into your legacy scheme and now you need to decide do you have to pay tax for these years or do you reclaim tax or, or, or what's it? So then everybody's then got to back, go back through and revisit their tax position to determine whether they've got any action to take. As we mentioned before, some of the years are out of scope. Um, and then we do also know as well that you're not going to be required to submit an amendment through the self-assessment process, which is how you would normally report an annual allowance charge. And there's going to be an online form by HMRC for people to fill in and hear end us the information that we have on that because there's no real detail at this stage. We haven't seen it yet or anything. Yeah, so it's, I think it's, it still sounds an awful long way away another year, but I think it's going to still be very challenging. And then you've only got quite a short period after the 6th of October 24 to get 
remaining paperwork in, scheme pays elections. I know they've been extended further down the line, but you've still got to get the paperwork in. Or if you've got tax to pay and you're going to pay it yourself, then you have to pay it by, I think, the end of January 2025. Yeah, 2025. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's... It, it may seem a long way away, but I think to us advisors working this this area, it's kind of be quite. It's going to be a very very short turnaround. Okay. And luck- awesome. luckily, I only deal with the NHS, unlike Laura, who deals with everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of, actually, some of them are working to a different time scale. So, civil service are aiming to have theirs done in the summer. So, I might be able to stagger some of it a little bit, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, so that's really sort of sage words of, uh, of wisdom for anyone panicking about what to do. Uh, I've got another question about scheme pays. I mean, I don't know if we want to go to that level of detail and then let's sort of try and summarize what, you know, what we need to do and also like what, 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 what would you advise? But do we, do we want to go to scheme pays? Because basically what I'm thinking is, imagine if you put in a scheme pays election in the remedy period, uh what do we know about that so so should we just briefly explain what scheme pays is for those that don't know although most of our listeners i expect regular listeners would know and then is there anything in in that if you have used scheme pays yeah do you want me to go andy or are you going yeah you know feel free to go <laughs> okay so uh scheme pays so if somebody has um an annual allowance tax charge so their pension gross has been over their allowance um, for a tax year and they've not got enough previous allowance to offset that they have to pay tax on that excess gross so there's a two ways you two main ways you can pay your tax one is you pay it directly to hmrc another option is you can do something called scheme pays which is a mechanism where you can essentially say hello nhs pensions please pay my tax charge for me they will do that and then what happens is you then get a deduction um, from your pension benefits when you retire, which is calculated based on interest plus your age at retirement and, and things like that. So, but it's kind of this pseudo deduction that sort of sits in the background. Yeah. Um, so, if you have a, a tax charge for one of the years and it you've done scheme pays and it's now too much, so the rollback period has shown actually you've got less tax to pay, then the process should be that you can just alter the scheme pays amount accordingly, up or down. That's that's what we're um, expecting the process to be, unless it's one of those out of scope years that we mentioned before. Um, I think as well, you, you do have the option if you owe more tax than what you've put on scheme pays, you can actually then pay that directly as well if you want to. I think you can split how you pay it, can't you, Andy? It just depends on circumstances. Yeah, you've always been able to decide to get the scheme to pay some of it or pay some. It's not an all or nothing thing. Um, it's usually a question of choice in terms of cash flow um, that people go down. But yeah, so for those years, if, if there's additional charges that come through this part, and including the 2022-23 year, because that will throw up some charges as well, um, then you are able for those in-scope years, as Laura referred to, to uh, resubmit or submit new scheme pays elections if that's what you choose to do. Okay, so, so for, again, I think the most important thing for anyone who's sort of worried about what happens if this drops through and I've suddenly got a massive tax charge that I didn't know about, because... Um, the, you know, there could be cases, it's not always going to be the tax is going to go down. There will be no. cases where tax goes up, um, but at least the get out of jail card is you will be given that scheme pays option. However, it goes back to what I said earlier, we've got a really short time scale to deal with this. Um, so 
if you do get one of these letters, um, so assuming, A, you've got a letterbox unlike Tommy, but secondly, one of these letters arrives, um, bear in mind where they normally arrive, they've got four years worth of data on. This should be a letter that has, I don't know how many years. Uh, 11, not, not I years think at it the should moment. be. Yeah, 11 year on, uh, yeah. on on there. So it will have lots and lots of numbers on it. You know, don't just go put it in the drawer or put it in the to-do box. You've got to action something, you know, whether you've got an advisor at the moment, speak to your advisor, um, whether actually it's not showing as a problem anyway, then then read, read through and try and understand it. Um, because the, the risk is that if you do nothing in this bit, HMRC are going to get to know all this data. Um, so they have been quite clear that if people receive information where there are tax charges and haven't acted on it, um, then they will be following it up. Whereas in the past, it's, I guess the information flow, particularly in the NHS side, hasn't been brilliant at times. Um, but I think this time around HMRC will say, right, we're catching up everyone now as part of this mass exercise. So do not ignore those letters. Yeah. Uh, for, for well, yeah, for retired people, these could start, in theory, dropping from the 1st of October. Uh, yeah, I think for even though I don't have a letterbox, I'm incredibly proactive about managing my pension. So, yeah, don't don't use my letterbox technique because, yeah, uh, as you might expect, uh, I, I've got some okay advice about this. Uh, okay, that's really useful, Andy. What uh, the 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 comments on YouTube are gonna be? There's gonna be loads of questions, I know, and I think we should do a follow up episode on YouTube to, to handle them. Uh, both of you are speaking at Medics Money Live on the 9th of November, which is an event just for advisors. So all the best advisors getting together in London to work on shared issued, and I think McLeod might be quite high up on the agenda. So LinkedIn, me or Andy, if you want to come to that, because I do know that lots of advisors listen to our podcast as well. What, like, passing words of wisdom, closing remarks, Andy's got to get on the train to come down for a team meeting. Laura's got to go and write her slide deck for Medics Money Live on the, 20, on the 9th of November. So, yeah, let's wrap up. Well, okay. So I think... Um... One of the, I think one thing I'm just going to chuck in at the end here is one of the things that is really difficult at the moment is that I think the, am I right in saying the NHS is the largest employer in Europe? Is that right? Or very close to? It feels like it it might be, doesn't it? it? Yeah. 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 Um, And the, as a workforce, we've got quite a disproportionate amount of part-time people and also highly paid people. So it's quite a diverse, diverse workforce. And these issues that are coming up with McLeod are going to affect everybody in really different ways. One of the things that we are really concerned about is that people have an an unconscious bias at the moment that the legacy schemes are automatically better than the 2015 schemes. So when people are faced with choices, a lot of the conversations I have with people in the minute start with, um, I want my seven years back in the 95 scheme and I'll be okay, why? Um, and and what we what I'm concerned about is that the communication at the minute about all of this is really poor, and we need to try and really work on how we can improve that communication so that people actually really understand the decisions that they're making and what it means for them. I think the problem is though that the NHS is a massively stretched workforce. So when you're on board within a trust, the thing that you're talking about is not do our staff understand our pension. It's about obviously some of the other things. Um, so that we are really encouraging employers and employees to really make sure that they do take a lot of time to understand what this is to get the best outcome for themselves 
Yeah, hundred yeah, I mean, percent. That's what things like this. What that's why this podcast exists. And uh, Andy, I think you're going to say something. Yeah, I mean, just just following up on that. I mean, there is a um, a clear difference between GPs who are in the practitioner side and um, people in the hospital side of things in how this is going to affect them. Um, GPs, to a certain extent, have always been a career average earnings scheme and have therefore always had a degree of inflation protection. Whereas in the hospital sector, you're in the officer scheme. See, the 2015 scheme, career average earnings scheme, gets some protection from inflation going up. But the officer side is very much linked to final uh, salary links. Um, And when we have had, as we have, as we know quite well at the moment, quite a long running dispute in terms of public sector pay rises not keeping up with inflation, then actually that's not just affecting people's pay, but it's also affecting their pension growth whereas the 2015 scheme gets that inflation protection. So there are going to be a whole group of people who um, eventually, when they get to making this choice decision, which is probably not going to be to retirement, so they don't have to make that choice now unless they've automatically take, already taken their pension. But if you haven't taken your pension, then you will choose eventually down the line, albeit all these figures will get recalculated now. But ultimately, they may actually decide that, that the 2015 scheme is better for them because it gives them better growth for that seven years. Um, I guess the important point is one you pointed out earlier, Tommy, is that no one's going to be worse off from this. Um, you'll either get um, the pension you get already would have had anyway for seven years, or you'll get a better one. Um, so it, it's just this transitional bit's going to be a bit messy to get through. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. There's, we're definitely going to be doing more about this. This kind of topic is going to keep the Medics Money podcast in business for years, I think. So I, I reckon we should do a Q&A. Uh, so let's drop your comments in YouTube in the comments. Uh, we probably, if we, they're simple, we'll take them there. But if not, we'll do another Q&A episode like me and Andy just did on YouTube where we go into the comments in, in maybe a month or so, maybe just after we do Medics Money Live, which just to remind you is on the 9th of November in London. It's just for advisors. And yeah, thank you so much. Check out Laura's podcast, Pensions WTAF. Yeah. I love the name. It's very memorable. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still <have> the plan. <laughs> Awesome. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time today. See you in a... Andy, you got closing remarks. Yeah, like I was just going to close out words. just one thing. I'm just going to mention, actually, because um, this is something Laura's been involved in quite a lot, is that we always concentrate in terms of doctors um, with the NHS, because they are the higher earners who have been affected by this. But Laura's been doing a lot of work with the nursing side of things, um, you know, less affected by annual allowance and stuff, but they are going to be affected in terms of the pension choice and are going to be affected by obviously trying to work out what pension they're going to get on retirement. Um, so it is quite important just to sort of step back occasionally. And remember, there are lots more people in the NHS than, than, than maybe anyone that just listens to this podcast. Um, so there are people out there to help um, in those circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And uh, for nurses, if you go to medicsmoney.co.uk forward slash nurses money, you will find... Uh, a tax rebate guide which can help you to claim tax back on a whole range of things that they incur for uh, their uh, employment like uh, the uh, fees that they pay tights are in there and shoes for some reason uh, so that's there and plenty more for nurses coming very soon but really good point thanks for mentioning that brilliant see you 
definitely in London and almost certainly on another YouTube to answer the ridiculous amount of comments, which are probably going to be dropping down below right now. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you. All right. So you lot that listen to the end are getting a cheeky little bonus, right? Because we just started an off topic, off mic discussion about some really complex stuff. You listen to the end, you get the good stuff, which means most people on YouTube, according to the algorithm, they just drop off and go and watch some cat videos. But if you're listening to the end, Laura, I want you to say what you were going to say. Just said again. Okay, so added years. So added years were only available in the 95 section, and it was the way to pay extra contributions to increase your service, which therefore increases your pension. Um, so no new added years arrangements have been allowed since 2008, but if you had one, you've been able to carry on doing it. Now, some people stopped doing their added years as a result of the move to 2015. Might also be a link to tax in there as well. But the consultation also does make an allowance for if you have stopped your added years, you might be allowed to reinstate them, which is not something you've been able to do before, which is what I just said. Sorry. Yep. Any it's, more it's, off it's, mic it's chats that are going to... Happen. Yeah, there's one more. Yeah. Erbo. <laughs> so, Are you going to say Erbo? I was going to talk about Erbo and slash added pension. So, yes, please. Um, so added pension is similar to added years where we pay extra contributions and we get extra amounts of annual pension. And Erbo stands for an early retirement reduction buyout. And it's only available in the 2015 section. And essentially, what you're, the way we explain it is it's like you're, you're paying for your early retirement reduction um, in advance effectively so when you take your benefits early they get reduced but you can pay extra contributions now subject to certain rules that would mean that you could access potentially the 2015 a bit earlier without it being reduced the problem with the rollback into the legacy scheme so, so 1995 for example is that erbo doesn't exist in the 1995 section so they can't you can't move your erbo across because it doesn't it's not there it's not a thing so there are a few options about the Erbo, but one of them is that you can use it to buy extra pension in 1995 to so take the contributions and convert it to added pension in 95. Similarly, any 2015 added pension you can put into 95. However, from a tax point of view, that would just, uh, typically when you buy added pension, it gets added to your pension in the year that you put it in. So when you're doing your annual allowance charge, you're doing it for that year. What they're doing with this is you're putting it all in in 24-25, so it would give you a massive annual allowance jump. Um, but then what you're able to do is then apply for compensation to get back the extra tax that that would trigger, which is a really weird thing that they're doing. Did that make sense? <laughs> what well, I said well, off fair, mic as we wrapped sense. up was that... <laughs> yeah, uh, I said to Laura when we just off mic that... That was a really good explanation. I almost understood it. Uh, and then you just mentioned Erbo. Uh, that that doesn't. Why would they do that? Why would you pay it all back? I don't know. It, charge and then compensate. What, what, I, I don't. I don't know. I expected. I fully expected that you would just pick it up and put it in the legacy scheme, and you would apply it in the relevant years, like like we we are doing with the main service. That's what I fully expected would happen. And then when I read the consultation, it says no. We're going to chuck it all in in that one year that it goes across which would obviously generate, you know, potentially massive charges, but there's going to be a compensation arrangement, which I think is saying actually you don't necessarily have to pay all of the tax because you'll have, you'll have potentially had tax to pay anyway from the first time round. You know, when you were paying added pension, if you were paying added pension into 2015, it would have certainly taken up part of your pension growth. So I don't know. I don't know why they're doing it like that. 
I just know that I have to now go and change all of my calculators now that I've read that. Awesome. Right. I think that's it. If you're watching on YouTube and you watch this bonus bit, drop a cat emoji in the comments because it just, everyone who hasn't watched it to the end will just be like, why is there cat emojis everywhere? And our podcast listeners always listen to the end because we've trained them very well. Uh, but YouTube, we're still training our audience. So yeah, thank you for that bonus section. Is anyone else going to say anything really good when I press stop recording or can I press stop? I press stop. stop. 